Welcome back to the Bible Caddy Podcast. I'm William Kane, and I'm joined by my good buddies, Ben Crane and Webb Simpson. And we got a special guest in Webb's office today. Webb, introduce who you got. All right, so I mentioned this gentleman already. His name's Dave Owen. He was a vital part of my uh, coming to faith in Christ, uh, senior of college. Uh, yeah, so when, when again, when my wife, girlfriend at the time, broke up with me, I, I met up with Dave that Christmas break. And Dave shared the gospel with me. Um, we processed life, golf, relationships with girls, um, and so much more. So Dave's in town visiting. And so uh, Dave has been at Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh for 28 years, uh, married to his wife, Julie, for 25, and has four kids. So Dave, welcome. What's up, guys? Great to be with you guys. Uh, we almost still remember your wedding. Uh, when we did that and Ben ran around the back uh, and surprised you, that was uh, an amazing day. Uh, and then to be able to also do the wedding for Webb and Dow, just, just a joy to be with y'all and uh, praise God. Yeah. Fun story before we jump into golf stuff. So Ben, you let, know, me, let me just tell my own story. Okay. You tell the story. <laughs> so I'm all excited because William has become a great friend and I get to, um, you know, surprise them at their wedding. And I am so excited to just watch what God has done in William and Victoria's lives. And in my excitement, <laughs> I see Victoria and William has been keeping um, the honeymoon a secret for, I don't know how many months, but he's telling We're going to Baltimore. We're going to Detroit. Yeah. You know, there's a thing. We're going to Philly. There's some great plants there I really <laughs> want to look at. I mean, he's really selling it. And so... In my joy, I go up to Victoria and I'm like, Victoria! And right before I give her a hug, I'm like, you're going to have so much fun in Cabo. And the look on her face was like, <laughs> Ben, I don't think you're supposed to tell me that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it didn't go down how I wanted it to go down. But, you know, we did get a free dinner at El Dorado in Cabo out of it. Ben graciously Thank treated God. us because he felt so bad. Called my friends at Discovery. I'm like, listen, I need to get a full send on a dinner at El Dorado for my friends here. Also, also, big shout out to Ben Crane this morning. Uh, ben, what time did you get in last night? One fifteen in the morning. Uh, spent a few days in Dominican Republic, got back late last night, and then we had Bible study this morning, which was a, an encouraging time, and here we are. So rocking on four hours of sleep, but excited to be with y'all. How much does Ben Crane love four hours of sleep, Webb? <laughs> hey, I'm sure he's going to fuel his body today with the essentials to, to make up for the sleep. Uh, you so know, he'll be uh, fine. There's... Apart from the gospel, Ben Ben loves nutrition more than just about anybody. Um, Benjamin, what was in Dominican, bud? Uh, seeing my Guy Boye uh, doctor who's really helped me with my back. and uh, He's awesome. the guy who rehabbed Tiger before um, Masters, and he's just a very gifted um, doctor that's really helped me. So, um, And how's the back feeling? Incredible, yeah. he's. I had a broken bone in my back, and I thought I was kind of done with golf, and uh, – last six months to a year have been healthy and strong um he rehabbed me out of it so it's been really really encouraging awesome well president's cup uh picks came out this week um in addition to the guys who made the team y'all added morikawa spieth homa horschel cameron young and kisner so weber tell us what you're excited about for the team yeah i mean it's certainly not the bible caddy podcast without mention of our good friend will zatorius so i am sad that he's not on the team (laughs) Um, but, uh, I love all the picks. I think each player brings just something unique to the team. 
Um, and, you know, I've, obviously this is my first time being an assistant captain. So it was interesting. to I, I'm learning a lot. Um, you know, I was under the impression that the captain, like, really makes every decision. But I think Davis, in his humility and also in his success as a captain, um, has learned a lot as well. And he, he, you know, wants to know all the assistant captain's opinions. Tiger's been super involved. Um, and then we had a dinner, you know, uh, the week of Atlanta, and he wanted to hear from the team. And he really wanted the team to um, have whatever say they wanted in these picks. And so, you know, the team, the, I guess it was the top six at the time, they gathered around and, and really felt strong about these next six. Um, so, yeah, we got a newcomer in, um, I guess this would be Sam Burns' first time, even though he qualified, Scotty Scheffler's first President's Cup, uh, but then Max Homa's first team event, Billy Horschel's first team event. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be great. And these guys, you know, they've played big events. They're going to handle the pressure. Great. In fact, it was fun yesterday. I took Dave Owen out, uh, to the first tee just to see it. And, um, yeah, it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. They're going to be nervous, but they're seasoned players. They're going to do great. And how cool this is in your backyard. I mean, literally what tee do you live on all that? Yeah. So we're looking at the seventh hole right now. Uh, you know, I can see the bunker that you want to avoid, but they've they've literally fenced the entire property off. So we had to take the golf cart out of the neighborhood onto the main road, the sidewalk. We got a dirty look from a guy on a nice evening jog last night because I kind of kicked him off the sidewalk with our golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> How good is the um, golf cart on a sidewalk? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's great. You know, they shut down the course this week and next week to get ready. So there won't be many ball marks come uh, two weeks from now. That's awesome. Okay, well, speaking of Tiger and team events, we just thought before we jump into uh, Luke 5, you got to tell us our ti- your Tiger story at Medina. Okay, so it's singles at Medina in Chicago. Um, I'm earlier to mid in the wave, and I know Tiger's the anchor position. So we tee off. I'm playing Ian Poulter, uh, just kind of king of the Ryder Cup for the European team. We get to the eighth hole, par three, pins on the left side. Anytime a pin's on the left, I'm more comfortable kind of smashing something versus chipping something. So I'm in between eight and seven. Polly just pulls out the eight. I know it's an eight. And I go to, you know, try to hit a hard eight, and this ball comes off straight right. Um, perfect shank, very <laughs> solid shank. Low spin. We're not going to tell shank stories every week, but we had to get a couple in. <laughs> So, uh, Ryder Cup, for the listeners, you know, there's only 12 matches uh, on Sunday. So, the crowd is so packed into just a few holes. And so, similar to Augusta, my story of 16, there's so many people. And I'm, I'm weaving through thousands of people. But only the only thing occupying my thoughts is not I just shanked it on national TV or, I guess, international TV. I just shanked it at the Ryder Cup. It's, oh, no. My ball is going towards the fourth tee box, and I'm pretty sure my good friend Tiger Woods is going to be over there around the fourth tee at this time. (laughs) So if I walk over there and I'm looking for a ball and he sees me, I will never hear the end of this. Um, So I get over there. Thankfully, he's just teed off. He didn't see anything. At least I don't think so. Ian Poulter, I will add this uh, non-important detail, had to make an eight-footer. To, to win the hole, so I almost tied him. I remember I that. Bogey. I wanted to have on that so bad. <laughs> if I had halved him with a shake, I think I would have beat him, but he ended up beating me one up. 
So, anyways, we lose the Ryder Cup. We're all we're all upset. You know, the award ceremony happens. We're all depressed in the in the locker room, sitting around. And I'm about two tables over from Tiger, and he says, "Hey, Webb," and he kind of motions for me to come over. And I go over there, and you know, Tiger's like, "Man, it was a tough day, huh?" I'm like, "Yeah, it was tough." He goes, man, it was tricky out there, wasn't it? And I'm like, yeah, it was tricky. He goes, that wind was everywhere. And at this point, I'm like, why is he talking about, you know, these details? And he asked me where I had the wind on two, the par three. And I'm like, God, this is so strange. I'm like, I think we had it out of the right. He's like, yeah, we did too. What about, um, he goes, boy, we got to eight. And it was like 20 miles an hour straight left to right and into. How about you guys? And he kind of looked up at me with his smile and just smiled at me. And I knew what he meant. He he heard about the shake or he saw my ball. <laughs> and I just shook my head and I went and sat back down at my table and he just laughed. Oh uh, gosh. So that's my shank story for, for this week. You know what? I've shanked a lot of balls, but thankfully Tiger Woods has never made fun of me. <laughs> and Weber, you head to Napa next week, is that right? Yep, heading to Napa. Um uh on monday night so first tournament and i think our only player on our team that's playing is max um and then i think internationals Corey and taylor pendrith are playing so yeah it'll be good nap is a good golf course old school short tight uh four par five so it's a fun golf course cool and game's feeling good yeah game's feeling good Gonna go test it out this afternoon with Dave Owen. Let's Dave's go. already asking for too many shots. Hey, Dave, Dave's gonna have about twelve degrees into out, hitting that big old swipe. <laughs> True or false? No comment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reel him in from the right. Hey, and he's gonna find out a way to shoot seventy-four. <laughs> That's right. Um, That's right. All right, boys. Um, well, with with Napa coming up, it seems fitting that we look at Jesus turning water into wine today, but we're not. Um, we're continuing the Gospel of Luke in our series called Meet Jesus. And we've established so far that the Bible basically lays out there's nothing more important in the whole world than knowing God. And thankfully, because Jesus Christ, God the Son, has come, he has revealed what God is like. Um, the Bible says that in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And so if we want to know God, we can look at Jesus Christ. Um, and, and the beauty for us is that the scriptures have recorded just what the Bible reveals about him, who he is and what he's done. And, and more good news for us is because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. What we see of him in scripture is what we can expect of him ourselves. So we've been going through Luke. We've been seeing how Jesus interacts with all kinds of people. And last week we saw him heal a paralyzed man, um, but only after forgiving his sins. He solved the greater problem first, and then he solved the smaller one to validate that he can, he can solve our biggest problem. So great story. And today we pick up where we left off in Luke five twenty seven with Jesus calling a man named Levi. But before we jump in, we always want to start with prayer, right? The Bible is a supernatural book, so we need God's help to understand it. So, Weber, you pray for us? I will. God, thank you for another opportunity um, that we're not just reading any book. We're reading the book, uh, the, the very words of life. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us through this, that you would give us wisdom to understand, that we would be encouraged, that the non-believers listening, Lord, uh, would want to know more about you. Um, and that the believers would be strengthened in their faith. And Lord, as our good friend Dave Owens says, 
as we get in the Word, pray the Word would get in us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, boys. Uh, Jesus calls Levi. Luke 5, verse 27. Let's read it. Jump into it. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Thanks, buddy. Um, okay, so Luke begins in verse 27 by saying, after this, after Jesus healed the paralytic that we looked at last week, he went out. And Mark's gospel tells us that all the crowd was coming to him. So he's, he's literally gone viral in Galilee, and everyone is coming to see him. And so he went out, and what did he do in verse 27? He saw a tax collector named Levi. Yeah, so let's, let's slow down here. So all, all the crowd is bustling around Jesus. But what happens as the crowd is all around? He's still looking. Right. He's still on mission. Yes. And, and it's like his focus aims in on this one guy. His gaze fixes on this man named Levi. And what are we told about Levi? Levi is a tax collector. Yeah. And so let's just think out loud. What do we know about tax collectors in first century Galilee? So we know that tax collectors are basically traitors. They're Jewish people who are taxing their own people. And he's franchised, this is franchised out. So Levi has bought this area. So he's just a hated man amongst really everybody. Because um, he's not only collecting taxes for Rome, but he's also collecting taxes for himself. Exactly. Well said. So we know at this time, Jew is, the Jews are under Roman occupation. And so because of promises that were made to them in their scriptures, these guys longed to be their own nation. They longed to govern themselves and to be God's special people outside from the kind of oversight and oppression of Rome. Well, tax collectors were Jews who went and collected taxes for the Romans, like Ben said. So they're, they're traitors. Um, but they're not just traitors. Again, like Ben said, they're slimy traitors. They would, they would collect extra tax and then pocket the difference. And these boys collected taxes on everything. There's taxes at the time on income, poll tax, land tax, taxes on grain, wine, fruit, uh, transport of goods, taxes on roads, taxes on bridges. So these guys are taxing their people for all kinds of stuff. So they're hated for being traitors. They're hated for being slimy traders. And interestingly, under Jewish law, tax collectors at the time were prevented from being judges or witnesses in court, and their families were classed with robbers and murderers. So, so these guys would have been disowned by their families, um, looked down upon, hated in society. So th this is who we're talking about. And as Jesus is going about with these crowds all around, his gaze fixes in on this guy, Levi who's sitting at his tax booth. And as he, as he sets his gaze on him, and people start to notice that, you got to imagine the whole crowd is thinking, what is Jesus going to say to this cat? How is he going to address this man? Because you think he's, he's going to reprimand him. He's going to scold him. He's going to say, repent, right? Totally. You, you, and everybody's on the edge of their seat to see if he does it. 
But what does he say? He says something shocking. He says, follow me. Follow me. Just makes eye contact with him. And he says, follow me. Now, what's wrapped up in that little two-word phrase? So follow me is what rabbis would tell people who were young apprentices who were being trained up in the word. And so they were, you know, the best of the best. And you would only say that word, follow me, those words, if someone was, you know, super promising and doing well and he'd spent time with them and he basically the rabbi had interviewed him long enough and said, okay, I'm going to disciple this guy and teach him everything. How Dow's been this morning? I know. Good gracious. Keep going. <laughs> let's freaking go, baby. Hey, four hours of sleep more often. <laughs> yes, let's go. All right. So it, to, for a, a competent rabbi to say to a young apprentice, follow me, it's like admission into an Ivy League school in their day. But here Jesus looks at this tax collector, at this trader, Right, This rabbi of rabbis, Jesus Christ, and he makes eye contact with me and says, follow me. Now, this is crazy. Like, it's confusing. Yeah, it's confusing. Webb, when you and Davis and Freddie and Strick are picking for the President's Cup team, what are you looking for? Uh, we're looking for skill in the golf course, uh, how are they going to be in the team room, and pairability. Totally. So you're, you're looking for the best players who can give you what you need, right? Correct. Are, yeah. are, are you going down to like, who's, who's 657 on the money list? No, we're right. looking at the cream of the crop. You're, you're looking at the top of the top, right? But it's right. interesting here that all throughout the Gospels, Jesus seems to be attracted to people who might not be the top of the top, right? Right. Who might, might be actually be at the, at the bottom of the barrel, like Levi. So he, he sets his eyes on him, um, and he calls him. And we're not told a lot about this interaction. We're just simply told about how Levi reacts. And what does he do in verse 28? He leaves everything, and he, and he follows him. Yeah. So, again, imagine, crowds all around. Here's Levi at his tax booth. Jesus looks at him, says, follow me. And then what happens next? Like, what's the implication? He's giving up his life of skimming off the top, and his, I mean, he's probably a very rich man. And he's giving it all up and going to follow Jesus. And we have no idea why at this point. Yeah. He just quits. <laughs> he goes all in with the Lord. Let's just use hopefully sanctified imaginations. Why do you think he might have might have said yes to this invitation? Well, I was going to ask kind of a question in a comment. Like, could we suppose that he had been somewhat familiar with Jesus, heard about him, or even seen some of the miracles that he had done? That's kind of a question I have. I, I would— imagine that he's got some familiarity with Jesus, right? Because Jesus has been ministering now for probably a few months, and his reputation has preceded him everywhere he goes, right? The, the Galilean world is swarming with attentiveness to Jesus and obsession with Jesus. So likely Levi knows, man, maybe it's a chance for me to hitch my wagon to somebody and kind of get out of the situation I'm in. Maybe it's a chance for me to escape the shame I'm feeling uh, by linking up with him. We don't know what was motivating him necessarily, but he probably had some familiarity with Jesus. Could have been the look in his eyes. Could have been the tone in his voice, right? We don't know. But what we do know is that our boy went all in. And so obviously Levi's life was not delivering. What he was doing was not working. So he said, I'm going to follow this guy. Yeah, let, great observation. Let's just dig in on that a little bit, right? Levi, here he is. He's making probably making good money right now. If not, he's on his way to making good money, right? He's 
the things that the world tells you will deliver, Levi's pursuing them, and it's obvious they're not delivering. It's just a good reminder for us. Um, William, one, one thought I saw, man, that um, just encouraged me is that, you know, when we're not looking for God, he's looking for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he when he saw him, but uh, I also just um, I'm overwhelmed by his 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 grace that, you know, Levi hadn't been invited to church to hear about him. Uh, at Jesus met him where he was. Um, he actually went to his workplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's I think it's a beautiful picture that Christ, he always, you know, for those listening, I mean, he's going to meet you right where you are. Um, and that's because he comes down all other world religions. You have to work your way up to him. And, and this Christ of this Bible, he comes to you. That's good news. Real good news. Dio. That's why we got Dio on the podcast, baby What's up. <laughs> um, so Levi follows him. He goes all in with Jesus. And then what does he do next? Verse 29. So Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclined at the table with him. Okay, so time to party. Let's just dig into that. Levi feels so honored and so grateful to be welcomed by Jesus that he literally throws a party. He has a massive feast. And so all his money, he just spends it on this new association, right? He's not ashamed of Jesus. Um, He's honored to be with Jesus. And he wants his buddies to know Jesus. Yeah, and... I mean, this is kind of fun because, like, you would think someone who knew who Jesus was, like someone outside of the church in this situation might not invite their other, you know, bad, mean friends because they might be embarrassed because they know this guy's a rabbi. But Jesus must have made such an inviting impression that he's like, no, nah, I'm inviting all my boys, all my other tax collectors. Yes. So let's I, talk about who who he invited of, of our society, right? I mean, so he's probably inviting the guy who runs the— the local pawn shop. Yeah. Probably invite the guy who runs the strip club. Right. Yep. I mean, he's inviting the guys that, you know, are the not embezzlers. churchgoers, the embezzlers. Yep. Yeah. This totally. is, this is not polite society, right? right? These are not the people who kind of have it together on the outside that you don't mind associating with. Right. right. The, the other gospels, Matthew and Mark say, not just tax collectors, but there's, he invited tax collectors and sinners and it's a large company of them. Right, so he's got all biblical language to say he had a bunch of friends who are from the other side of the tracks, and that's who was populating this party. Mm. Um, and, and what is Jesus in the middle of them doing? He's reclining, which means he's, he's with them. He's relaxing with them. He's um, saying he's friends with them. I mean, that's kind of in these times when you eat with someone, you're taking them upon you, right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a massive statement of, you know, um, I'm friends with these people. Yes, 100%. Friendship, fellowship, acceptance. Um, there is a willingness of Jesus to be with these people. Mm-hmm. He just jumps right in with them. And notice, too, the, the wine is flowing. Like, the, the feast is happening. This is what he gets criticized for. So they, they are partying together, partying appropriately, I'm sure, but they're partying. Um, with all kinds of people that might make us uncomfortable. Um, and it's not just us who, who may get uncomfortable if we read this honestly, but there were some folks who had the moral high ground back in the day, and they certainly become uncomfortable in verse 30. What happens in verse 30? And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled um, at the disciples, saying, why do you drink and eat with such tax collectors and sinners? 
Yeah, so this, this likely comes after the fact, but everybody in town knows what Jesus is up to. Maybe these guys are looking on that night. Maybe they hear, they hear about it the next day. But they got a problem with it. they got a problem that Jesus is with these people, and they've got a problem that he's eating and drinking with these people. they got a problem with the friendship, and they got a problem with the whatever it is they're consuming. So they come, and they essentially want to address the matter. And who do they want to address the matter with? Not with Jesus. They go right to the, the middleman. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they go to the disciples. I mean, this is at least mild cowardice at best. Um, quickly, who can remind us about the Pharisees? We were introduced to them last week, but if somebody's listening to this one off, I want them to know who these guys are. Yeah, th- these guys, I mean, they're, they're, um, they're self-righteous. They are always um, praying out loud at the, the street corner. Uh, they, you know, the text in the, the Bible teaches that they love the approval of man more than God. And so they're man-centered, they're narcissistic, um, and, and the, the reality is, is right, um, self-righteous and selfish and moral, Jesus died for both. Um, and so that's who, who these guys are. Yeah. And they were also really well thought of, I and mean, they, were, they were bringing the word to the people, and they really believed with all their heart they were doing what was right. Even they were, but they were comparing themselves to other people not to God. But I mean, these Pharisees were put together the who's who of society. Yeah. And so Ben's given us how they were viewed at the time, which is exactly right. They were the impressive people of the day who had the corner market on God in their mind. And then Dave is showing us, well, here's actually the right interpretation of these guys. They were self-righteous. They were trusting in themselves. Um, So they come with a complaint. Who is this rabbi who's friends with sinners? Who is this guy eating and drinking with sinners and tax collectors? Um, and, and what's, what's implied by their criticism? What are they saying? If Jesus is eating with them, then he can't be a holy man because he doesn't really know them, right? He doesn't really know who they are, what they've done because he's associating himself with them. Right. And and if you're righteous, you should separate yourself from people like that. Jesus does quite the opposite. Um, but even the, as these leaders accuse Jesus' disciples of these things, right? What does Jesus do in verse 31? Just first four words. He's, he says to them, those who are well. Yeah, well, he, and even before that, he, he oh, answers answer, them. Yeah, right? Jesus so answers and he steps in for them. These guys are trying to take it up with the disciples, and Jesus says, nah, Jack, your problem is with me, and he jumps right in, mm. right? And it's just a, it's a little mm. example of how the Lord protects his own. You know, the Bible talks about how he's a good shepherd. And one of the things he does he's is... Our, he's our advocate. He's our advocate, yeah. And he's, he's going to stand in front of the problem and his, and his own people. Wow. So he jumps in, and then what does he say, Ben, 31? Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. Okay, so with this statement, Jesus just goes right to the heart of the issue. And in doing so, he reveals something about himself and something about his company and something about his opponents. Mm-hmm. So first... How does Jesus revert, refer to himself here? As a he's physician. the doctor. Yeah. He's the doctor. Yeah. He's the physician. Okay. And, and what do physicians do? Help they help sick well. people feel better. Totally. And so Jesus comes, and it, it, don't miss the claim, right? Jesus is not associating with either the righteous or with the sinner here. He's saying he's altogether different. He is the physician who's come to help bring healing and restoration and recovery. Um. And, and who do physicians treat? This teaches us something about the people Jesus is hanging with. So physicians treat people who 
are sick and know they're sick, and then they come in. But then there's also the people who don't know they're sick, but actually are sick. Okay. I mean, I just love how on fire you are. It's really, it's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Let's go, Ben. So physicians treat people who are sick and know it, right? When, they, when you're aware of an issue, that's when you come to the doctor. The beauty of the broken and sinful people that Jesus was hanging out with was that they seemed to know they were broken and sinful. They admitted it. They owned it. All right. And, and like Ben already hinted at, who doesn't come to a physician? And what does this reveal about the Pharisees? You can have a disease, you can have something horrible going on where you're going to die either suddenly or, or slowly over time, but not know it. Totally. It can be manifesting itself in your body and you don't know. Yes. So if you're well, you don't go to a doctor, or if you think you're well, you don't go to a doctor. I think that's Jesus' point here. These people, they're sick, but they think they're well. And what does Jesus say to hammer home his, his point in verse 32? He now takes it from metaphor to reality. Yeah, so he basically tells them that I haven't come to call the righteous person but, the, um, but sinners to repentance. So he's basically saying, I haven't come for the people who think they're well. 100%. Um, by righteous, he's talking about these Pharisees who, just like Ben said, they think they've got it together. I haven't come for the righteous. There's a, there's a hint of sarcasm in what he's saying. Okay, um, It's so exposing. So exposing. It just cuts right to the heart of the matter. Yeah, I mean, can you imagine Jesus just looking at these guys and just with, you know, a gentle nod saying, boys, y'all don't need me. You've got everything under control. I hadn't come for you. Mm-hmm. What, what a difficult and exposing thing to hear. Uh, but who has he come for in this passage? Those who are sick. Yes, and then he names them in 32. He's come for sinners, right? For the broken, for the weak, for the helpless, for the needy, for the sick ones, for the ones that know we're sick with sin, right? Mm-hmm. The, to, to the listener who thinks Christianity is about being good or doing the right things or earning God's favor by avoiding bad things and doing good things, the Bible tells an altogether different story. It says actually the first thing that we need to see is that we're bankrupt. We are sinners. We're sick with sin. And we need the help of a physician. And Jesus is the one who's come to call us. He, right. he invites us to himself. Um, and the way that we respond is through what word right there at the end of verse 32? Repentance. Yeah, so Weber, tell us what repentance is. Yeah, and I just want to add to what you said earlier. I've heard it said many times um, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. You know, Ephesians 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Um, And so, yeah, this word repentance, what it means is basically an acknowledgement of our sin, an acknowledgement that we did something or thought something or lived in a way that was contrary to what God had commanded and required of us. Um, And what I love whenever I see the word repentance, I think of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins or to forgive us from our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so this goes along with verse 32, that Jesus doesn't require us, like you said, William, to be good. He asks us, ask of us to repent of our sins. Yes, he just wants us to agree with God about where we are, to have an honest and accurate assessment of ourselves, and then to turn around and come and follow him, to join Levi. You know, just say, hey, listen, I was going in the wrong way. I see I was going in the wrong way. And now I'm hitching my wagon to Jesus Christ. And I'm hoping in him alone. Mm-hmm. Right? We, we, I love also 
that uh, he, he was reclining with them before he talked about repentance. Hmm. Um, uh, he didn't come with the hammer. He's got a hammer, but it's got velvet on it. Um, and, and the reality is that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Hmm. Um, and so Romans teaches that. And so if you're listening to this t- today and, and you see God is up there getting ready to crush you, just be encouraged that he did crush someone, but it was his son uh, on a cross. Uh, for your sins. Uh, He was buried and he rose from the dead. Uh, And it's the greatest news ever. And I love the point of this text is that I think Jesus spent a lot more time uh, at a kitchen table than he did a pulpit um, and and just really engaging with people where they are, reclining with them, but then speaking truth. Uh, And that's just the beauty of this king we follow. Yeah. Amen. And that's a perfect transition to kind of where we want to close out these studies, which is if if Jesus reveals what God is like, what does this passage teach us about the character of God? What does this show us about how he actually is? Not how we think he is, but how he's actually revealed himself to be through his son and his word. What can we learn about the Lord? He's incredibly gracious and gentle. Um, He had no need of Levi coming with him on his mission Levi could offer Jesus nothing, and yet Jesus wanted him to be part of his mission. He wanted him to be part of his family. Yet Jesus is drawn to sinners. He is, um, it's the very reason why he came, is to save broken people like me and you. And it's, there's a great book that we love called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland that has this story in it that kind of sums it up for me in a, in a really real way, that there's a doctor who's come to a village, and this village has um, disease, and they can't figure it out, and they're dying, and they need help. Um, And this doctor has no need. He's independently wealthy. He comes to them with the cure, and um, but no one wants it. They want to figure it out on their own. Uh, But then eventually, as a couple men are dying, they step forward and, and say, okay, we'll try it. We'll, we'll, um, we'll try this medicine. And how does the doctor feel when those men step forward? What does he feel? And he feels joy, right? And so it's just a great reminder to me that what does God feel when a sinner like me comes? God feels joy. And to the degree we come, God experiences more and more joy. It's That's why good. he's come. Yeah, I just, I love to, and it's really a summary of what everybody's already saying, is that Jesus desires our friendship. He wants us to be with him. He welcomes us. He desires us. Um, yeah, he, he wants to be our friends. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then he says to his disciples, You are my friends. And mm-hmm. the Lord wants to welcome us into a relationship like that. Um, and it's also sweet here that he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. You know, we think, I think it's easy to read this passage and think, oh man, Jesus loves me, I'm good. I can just keep going how I've been going. But what happens is when we see the, the goodness of Jesus Christ, the welcoming nature of Jesus Christ, and the purity and beauty of Jesus Christ, what we're compelled to do when we actually see it is to leave our life of sin like Levi did and hitch our wagon to Jesus and say, you know what, you know best. And I want mm-hmm. what you want from now on. I want to go all in with you. Um, And the beauty is, just like Dave said, Jesus is not only willing to do this, he's able to do this because he took Levi's place and he took these tax collectors and sinners' place when he died for them on the cross. Just like we've talked about in the other episodes on that cross, he became sin for us 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, he, he was there in our stead so we could go free. And it's just we, such he's, good and he's, worth, he's, he's worth it. He's worth it. That's the word that, that keeps ringing in my head when I read this text. Uh, he, he left everything. Why? Because he's worth it. He's a worthy king. He welcomes you, but he's worth it to leverage your life and to live your life following this king. It's worth it. Love that. So a couple questions as we close. Uh, one is, how do you relate to Levi? You always kind of see yourself in him in any way, and if so, how so? I mean, I just I see myself as Levi right before I came to the Lord in the sense of Levi was probably trying to fulfill his life with anything he could, with money, with power, controlling people. Same, I mean, it's no different with what I was doing. I was trying to fulfill my life with a relationship with a girl, with success in golf, and I was miserable. I really was. Um, and so thank the Lord that Jesus called me like he called Levi. Mm-hmm. I'm encouraged by the way he deals with the Pharisees. I, I think I identify a lot of times as the older brother, um, the story of the prodigal son, more than the younger brother squandering everything, the older brother who lives dutifully, or the Pharisees here who live dutifully thinking God owes them, but they're actually a long ways away from God, and he's even gracious um, to, to these guys um, and shows them um, you know, how to become righteous and um, after you repent. So I think I identify, you know, with with them as much as I do Levi. Yeah, that's good. The other thing I love about Levi is he models for us what it looks like to respond to Jesus. Like he doesn't throw the party with Hmm. out of obligation. You know, he doesn't, oh, I got to just do this now. No, it's this wholehearted, overflowing Yes, I am I'm, I'm full sending with Jesus Christ, and I want my buddies to know it. I want to spend my money on it. I'm in. Mm-hmm. And it just shows us, again, like Dave said, Jesus is worth it. He's worth that kind of response from us. Um, one little wrinkle on this story that I love, and maybe we can kind of start to land the plane with this. Anybody know what became of this guy, Levi? Anybody know what happened to him? Yeah, he became... Matthew wrote the Gospel of Matthew, an incredible follower of Jesus. Yes. Okay, so this guy Levi, also named Matthew. You can see his story in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And here is your author of the first gospel. This Jewish man who was once a traitor, a slimy traitor, became the the biographer of Jesus Christ to the Jewish audience. Mm-hmm. Matthew is the most Jewish of all the Gospels, and Jesus chose this guy, this former traitor, to represent him to his own people. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, he's able to repay his people a hundredfold, generation after generation, for the sin that he had contributed. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus can do. Jesus takes our stories that we think we're going to figure out with our little plans and he rewrites them in the most glorious way. And I think he wants to do that with each of us, just like he did with Levi. So, Amen to that. Um, last word goes to you boys. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Obviously, he, um, he, he probably handled a lot of numbers in his days, but he wrote a lot of words um, uh, in, in the Gospel of Matthew and closes out with the Great Commission. Uh, just beautiful, you know, uh, the, the longest of these four incredible gospels. So just, just um, when, when you encounter Jesus Christ, the Son of God, risen from the dead, He changes you. 
it's it's not a band-aid it, he gives you a new heart he he changes your life the trajectory of your life uh the direction of your life and he's not a kill joy god uh no he 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 fulfills joy um and so he's worth it man jesus yeah. invitation to follow him is such an invitation to us and you know it's not like he's showing us no matter where you're at in life no matter what you've done no matter what you're doing right now jesus is offering this invitation to follow him to make a u-turn to turn around to repent of of where you are and that you're a sinner and that we're born into sin and that we need help and jesus is offering it with two words follow me and he will do the work in us so it's just a, a sweet reminder that it's that simple um and then we get all the benefits that what Jesus did on that cross, he did for us. He took our place on that cross um, so that and gives us his righteousness and gives us this whole new purpose and joy uh, in life that is right um, and produces great fruit. Well, thanks for listening to the Bible Caddy podcast. If you have questions about Jesus, email us at BibleCaddy at gmail.com. We'll be back next week in Luke chapter 8. Until then, let's get into the Bible and let the Bible get into us. Woo!